Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Um, I know that we have to talk about the NHL pausing its season because of coronavirus, but I figure we could just fill the next hour talking about how great it is to be a Jets fan right now that Tom Brady's not with the Patriots. I am wearing my Jets jersey. No, that's wildly inappropriate. On FaceTime Wildly inappropriate. No, no, no. So we have to talk about the hockey stuff. We can't, we can't talk about how amazing it's going to be to see Bill, Bill Belichick try to mold and shape like Andy Dalton into trying to be Tom Brady. This feels like the lie to the parent trap. How could you think of food at a time like this? You know, we were watching the parent trap the other day, and I got to tell you, not, not enough praise and not enough attention has been given to the quality of Lindsay Lohan's uh, British accent throughout that film. Incredible. Incredible, Incredible. impeccable. And she, and she never whipped it out again. It was never, you know, Angelina Jolie all the time with the British accent. You know, we, we've seen other actresses do, attempt them. Um, Anne Hathaway, you know, and I think that's the only time Lindsay Lohan has ever pulled out the, uh, the British accent for anything. That's absolutely incorrect because I don't know if you remember, but in the Mykonos stage of Lindsay Lohan's life, aka like three to four years ago, she all of a sudden pulled out this discernible <laughs> accent that was part British. Part Greek, perhaps. Um, um, you know, for, yeah. the, for the for the record, I do recall the Mykonos section of Lindsay Lohan's life because I did watch at least one episode of that horrible MTV show that chronicled her like um, club that she opened in in Greece, and I was all excited. And then she's she's literally she was on that those episodes shorter than Nick Lachey and uh, and his wife were on the Love Is Blind episodes. Like I, it's not oh, wasn't I even a Lindsay Lohan show. So disappointed. It was like it was like subpar D plus quality below deck, uh, with like Lindsay Lohan on for two minutes. Very disappointed. And that voice and that accent and that accent. That's true. All right, all right so as you allude to, is- end of the world. Tom Brady's not a patriot. <laughs> right, exactly. No sports. Let's see how long we can delay. The apocalyptic part of the show by talking about Lindsay Lohan's uh, dialects. Um, yeah, coming up on ESPN on Ice, the NHL paused the season for coronavirus. We have a lot to talk about, and we have two incredible guests on, actually, uh, from a, news, a newsmaking perspective. Uh, uh, Ryan Creelan, who is the uh, commissioner of, or, or president of the ECHL, and uh, Doug Price, who fills the same role with the Southern Professional Hockey League. They're going to come on and talk about... Uh, what they did uh, with their organizations in uh, canceling the rest of their season. So a very special episode. Uh, they'll be dealing with some big topics. So let's start the show proper, shall we? From the ice to your earbuds, a podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachitsky and Kaplan. It's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN talks about hockey. I'm Greg Wyshynski, senior NHL writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, national NHL reporter. And uh, let's begin by by saying, hey, hope everybody's doing okay out there. Um, it's scary times. Uh, I know a lot of you are probably listening to this podcast in the uh, discomfort of your own home because you can't go anywhere else. And we hope everybody's staying safe. Hope everybody's washing their hands and hoping that all of your loved ones are nice and healthy during a very scary time. Um it felt like last week, Emily, when we were doing the show, that we were kind of hoping and wishing and praying that something would happen that would allow hockey to continue, even though it was pretty clear what path we were on. Um, we were talking potentially about empty arenas. Um, we were talking a number of different options. And then things really got rolling, obviously, when the NBA started to have uh, some some cases of coronavirus amongst its players. The NHL clearly thought that they could potentially play in some empty arenas um, with these municipalities like Santa Clara County and the state of Ohio 
putting down edicts about uh, mass gatherings of people due to the the coronavirus. Um, but then, you know, as Gary Bettman has said a few times since then, the moment when another league had its first case was the moment when the NHL had to probably put its season on pause because the moment it was going to have its first case amongst these players was the moment it was going to have to, you know, postpone the season anyway. I just cannot emphasize enough how quickly this escalated. Yeah. I go back to talking to Bill Daly two weeks ago on March 2nd, and we're sitting down in the bar area of the Boca Raton Resort, and I'm telling him, I want to ask him about coronavirus, and he's pretty much telling me this is all premature, you know, we're just starting to explore our contingency plans, and I have to read this quote out loud because it just seems wild in this context. This is about him, you know, their emergency plans of playing in empty arenas and post- postponing games. I think it's very unlikely, knock on wood, I'm hopeful, that we would progress to a stage where we have to consider something that dramatic. Yeah. Narrator. It's incredible, right? We have to consider something that dramatic. And, it, you know, it's... I know the NHL will say that they uh, made this decision independently. It was for the safety of their players and staff. And, of course, that's true. But like you mentioned, there is absolutely a correlation between what the NBA did Wednesday night with Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz testing positive for coronavirus and the NHL being forced to act the next day. There's yeah. so much overlap between NHL and NBA arenas. There's some overlap between some of the teams who share workout spaces. They could not go on like this. Um, we're seeing it escalate even more because at first the NHL told its players, okay, just stay in your home cities. Let us figure this out. Like as soon as next week, you might be able to get back into the facility and start working out. Now, as of Monday, they're telling players you can go home and that even includes going to your home country. Now, I don't know if players even can consider and cancel mm-hmm. flights and all of these border restrictions, but that's a huge change of plan. And now we're looking at early May as the earliest that the NHL could resume again because the NHL and NHLPA said they were influenced by that CDC recommendation that came out Sunday night that for the next eight weeks, there should not be gatherings of more than 50 people. Exactly. Um, to put a fine point on your what are players doing, uh, Larry Brooks, the New York Post, reported today as we do the podcast on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Aaron Gobra or whatever you say to all of our Irish friends. I'm actually Irish. The last name, don't let the last name deceive you. My mom's maiden name is Loudon. <laughs> Yield uh, Or Yield yeah, is I'm, not I'm, Irish either. I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> I sound like Lindsay Lohan in her third act. I am, I am, I'm like 25% Irish and, uh, I like to play that up when it's, uh, beneficial. Um, Larry Brooks reports that Mika Zibanejad and Kapokako have returned to Europe and that Henrik Lundqvist is making plans to leave New York. Um, potentially as well to Sweden. Uh, so, I mean, there are players that are, that are headed, headed uh, back to their home countries, um, to be with their families and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, before, I mean, uh, what we assume is going to be very tough travel restrictions coming down the pike in, in a lot of places. Um, it's incredible, uh, to take a step back and consider the scale at, at which everything is happening. First of all, um, the first reports that I could find in my uh, hasty Google News search of uh, the coronavirus in hockey, I think it was end of January, beginning of February, when we first started to have a, a slate of stories come out about stick shortages in China. Remember that? Well, the, the players, where are they going to get their hockey sticks? Yeah, you the, mean the, from last year when that was a controversy? <laughs> Remember was, vaping was a big health crisis? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, coronavirus, um, uh, yes, 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 uh, influenced yes. cancellations of, of like production and, and factories closing. That was like end of January, beginning of February. Um, and so that's the first sort of 
crossing of paths between hockey and this and this virus. Um, and then, you know, as we've we've covered in the podcast, leagues around the world started to adjust their schedules. The, the uh, Swiss league was one, one of the first ones I can remember that um, put its its postseason uh, its its regular season in empty arenas and then um, postponed its its postseason for a few weeks uh, because of governmental restrictions on mass gatherings and then outright canceled. Then all these other leagues started canceling. Then the IIHF got involved and it started canceling junior tournaments and of course, as we'll talk about later on, uh, the women's world championship uh, tournament as well. Um, and so this, the global scale of what we're seeing, I mean, not only for hockey, obviously, but for every sport is just, it's just staggering. It's absolutely staggering to think that, you know, like there's not a single sport happening right now, basically outside of maybe a few, maybe like a random soccer league or something's happening in front of an empty building. But, um, the well, NHL the KHL paused. is trying to plow on. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And the then, KHL, where two of the teams, including Jokerit, um, the Finnish based team, and another one of their teams essentially bowed out of the playoffs. Yeah. There was eight it, teams left, and they said, We think it's wild that you're still playing. This is a global health crisis. We're out. One of the coaches went on record of saying, This is wild. You guys should be pretty much banned from the league. Let's play hockey. Yeah. Um, the team, the league was supposed to continue their postseason play tonight on Tuesday. They've now postponed it to April 10th. But plan to go on with a six-team field. Yeah, the other team was in Kazakhstan. It was Bears that uh, bowed out. It was okay. eight, 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 eight teams remaining in the playoffs, and two of them bowed out. So you know, from and of course, uh, like you said, the, in the most KHL move ever, it's like, what is wrong with you, cowards? Play the hockey. Come on. Um, so let's let's talk about next steps. Like you said, uh, at least eight weeks from now, I think, is when we can start conceiving of a, a season potentially. Uh, happening. Um, but even then, who, who's to say that the thing about the NHL right now, it, it's a few different things that have to happen in order for there to be a return to any semblance of a regular season or postseason. Um, the first thing, and this is the single most important thing is the lo- local governments in every NHL city that may be playing in the playoffs and we'll talk about playoff format later on in the show, um, have to have their bans on mass gatherings of people lifted. I can't conceive the NHL playing an entire postseason in in empty arenas. I I don't think that's economically feasible um, for anybody involved. Well, the the whole thing here is revenue, right? The reason the NHL is so bullish on finishing the season is that it would be a huge hit to the bottom line. Could they get enough revenue to not take as big of a hit? If then it became a TV spectacle, I mean, all that. I mean, the sponsorship money, maybe the advertising money, maybe. But I mean, you're trying to basically at this point, if you play in front of empty buildings, you're putting a tourniquet on what's already a gusher. You know, like they they are going to lose so much money by not completing. I mean, they're going to lose like uh, 250 million dollars in, in the postseason if they don't play it. So maybe you reduce that a little bit if you play in empty buildings, but then you're talking about operating costs. Um, and then, you know, you yeah. still, you still aren't dealing with the real economic impact here, which is the, the bars and restaurants and businesses in the surrounding areas of these arenas that aren't, aren't going to make a dime, uh, despite there being playoff games because no one's going to be around. Um, so, but, but from a functionality standpoint, like I can't imagine they're going to play a full postseason in front of empty buildings. Maybe a few games here and there they could, maybe the first couple rounds they could. Um, but like, 
it's just it doesn't i can't even imagine it it's not to say that it can't happen because we are in un- unprecedented times but i just can't i personally can't conceive it so that's the first thing that has to happen the second thing that has to happen is that whatever format they decide on uh, regular season games being played to even out the numbers of games uh playoffs with reduced first round and second round series whatever it's going to end up being uh the nhlpa has to sign off on it so those of us who might be concerned about like the NHL coming back and being like, "Hey, we're back and we're playing every single night," uh, no, the players will be able to say, "Hey, we are comfortable with this level of of activity. Um, we're not playing a schedule that's going to put our bodies at risk, and that at least is a good thing." And then you were saying today about mini camps, something interesting. Yeah, this is something. Look, the NHL and NHLPA have been in constant communication, and one thing they have at least verbally agreed on—I don't think anything's in writing yet—is that these guys have to have some form of mini camp or training camp before they get on the ice. Um, you know, guys are in great shape. I'm sure they all have some nice home gyms, and I'm sure someone's got some Pelotons for Christmas to keep them back in shape. But like, <laughs> they've got to get back on the ice and training. So that's going to be a thing. Probably at least a week of that, maybe a week and a half, which even delays the timeline even further. And you know, one of the things that we have to start thinking about is Gary Bettman says he has a drop dead date in mind of how long this could go when they can't go on any further because it's going to encroach too much on the next season. And their big priority right now is just retaining more normalcy for the 2020, 2021 season. But what is that date for me? It has to be like late May, early June. Yeah. And then you've got to pull the plug. Yep. And then the other, uh, we, we touched on the, the economic impact of all of this. And I mean, there's no, I, I'll speak for myself here in Santa Clara County. I mean, I was walking around yesterday and, Seeing businesses saying, Hey, we're taking a break for a few weeks. Other businesses saying, uh, we're going to be on hiatus for an undetermined amount of time. And these aren't restaurants and bars. These are like clothing stores and, and local, local shops and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I was walking past the local, uh, Celtic Irish, uh, store and I'm thinking to myself, Jesus, I mean, just how much money are you losing with, with nobody crowding the streets at the bars? Uh, on your ancestors. Day. It's, it's so sad. They're probably your cousins who own that store. That's probably right, my Irish brethren. Um, and then the, the bar, the, the, the bars are, are obviously taking a huge hit because they can't even open. And then the restaurants in a lot of places are allowed to do uh, takeout and, and, uh, and delivery. But I mean, as we talked about just briefly before the show, New Jersey has a curfew going on now from uh, 8 p.m. through 5 a.m. And how does that affect people going out and picking up food and, and delivery services and things like that? So it's, it's really, just every single day is a new development. None of it really good right now. Um, but the other thing economically that we should talk about is the arena worker issue, which has been fascinating to watch, uh, how quickly some teams came out of the gate to say that they were paying, um, their part-time support staff, um, for any games that they missed. Um, and that, that money was coming immediately. They wouldn't miss a paycheck. Others have decided to do sort of a, a uh, partial payment thing to make up the money they can't get from unemployment and things of that nature. Um, and still others. Others were succumbed to pu- public pressure. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Like others didn't want to compensate anybody. Like Winnipeg in particular, Calgary in particular, Boston still, I want to say. I believe as of this recording that Boston is the only team in the league that is not, the ownership has not pledged to any type of compensation for tartan workers. Now a fan created, uh, like, 
campaign or GoFundMe page and some Bruins players and employees have contributed to it, which is great. And that's another thing I want to point out is that there's been a lot of players. Sergey Bobrovsky stepped up in a big way in Florida with his big salary, of course, but so did some of his teammates to do this. But Jeremy Jacobs and Boston ownership have done nothing. Yeah, Jeremy Jacobs, who you know made him, made his money in the concessionary industry, right. doing nothing. And it could just be that, actually... that he's working out the details. Like we should give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. But if everyone else could figure it out, you can too. Yeah, and and the real the real issue with all of this stuff going forward is, and and you know we I think we'll probably have something on this on ESPN coming up pretty soon. There are some teams that have been very specific about the money and the paychecks missed and the compensation for, for people. There have been others that have, like the Blues, for example, that are dealing with big numbers, hundreds of thousands of dollars, players contributing to a fund, what have you, without really explaining who gets the money. Do you have to ask for it? Is it going to these workers without them having to ask? And then there are others that are just super vague. Um, so it's going to take some time, I think, to really parse out which teams are doing proactive things to help out people in a, in a time of extreme need and which teams are kind of just being like, here's your press release. And hopefully no one asks what's going on with the money because, you know, it's going to be a lot of parsing out exactly what's happened here. And, and again, it's um, for the teams that have stepped up kudos to them because it is a really scary situation um, for a lot of people that are, that are working for very low wages and are counting on paychecks, and all of a sudden those disappear um, at a time when you know millionaires are still getting paid in in the NHL. Who, the players, by the way, not and the billionaires paycheck. on the teams. Yeah. So, all right, uh, let's get to our first of two guests today, dealing with this uh, unprecedented stuff as we turn our attention to the ECHL. Uh, Ryan Creelan of the ECHL joins us now to talk about the cancellation of their season. Um, thanks for your time. First of all, y- your comment, uh, in the release, um, I-, I was wondering, was the state, was the, the mandates on, on mass gatherings, um, that many of your teams are, are facing in their, in their lo- local communities, was that sort of a driving force behind the decision or, or are there other things at play? Well, there's, uh, a number of factors at play, but those were certainly first and foremost, as I, as I said in the release there, I mean, uh, our product, our game, our, our whole mindset is based around social gatherings and, uh, having fans in our buildings to cheer on our players. And, you know, at our level too, we go beyond that in terms of being out in the community and shaking hands and having player access for our fans. So, um, the fact that we couldn't have those mass gatherings, and even if we did, we had to stay three, six feet apart, whatever. Um, it's just a, a big hit to who we are as as a business and hockey product. And when you look at the different restrictions that have been put in place, it's not a national restriction. It's a state-by-state restriction. And we've got teams all over the continent in different markets and different states, so different restrictions. So just a lot of an uncertainty. So take me a little bit through 
you know, I think this would be instructive for fans of how you come up with this decision. Who are you consulting with? Um, what is the bottom line when you decide you can't do it? Because, you know, you see a leak like the NHL that says, we're suspending, we're pausing, we're going to hold out, hope that we can finish it. Why couldn't you go that course of action? Well, we, we took that initial action uh, late last week uh, to suspend. That was the, the prudent thing to do so we could catch our breath. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started to begin to look at what the future held, and, and things were changing so rapidly as well uh, in terms of local governance and authorities changing the restrictions or heightening the restrictions. So we're looking uh, to local authorities. We're looking to national authorities. Uh, we're in touch with the players' union. We're convening our board of governors, and you're trying to assess all the different moving pieces and what the future holds um, and trying to take the facts as you know them and trying to project. But when you start, and also examining all possibilities at that point um, and what the different outcomes are, but when you start to hear the same concept coming from all sides of the aisle, uh, it's it you start to realize... Uh, where you got to go with it. And it, it's not an easy decision. It's an excruciating and emotional decision. Um, but but at the end of the day, I'm convinced it's the right decision. And uh, to play Monday morning quarterback a few days here later, I think that's been even more uh, affirmed. Yeah, especially with the way things have gone in literally every other sport. Um, what's, the, uh, what's the economic impact for teams in in doing this, um, we've we've spoken to another uh, commissioner of another minor league recently. Um, he talked about you know hoping that every team comes back next season. Uh, the ACHL obviously is a different league than most. Um, are you concerned that any of the twenty six teams might not be able to come back next season due to the money they're going to lose without uh, the games being played for the next few months? Uh, am I concerned? Yeah, sure. But I think that goes into our decision and and why we did what we did. I mean, the the impact is uh, quite large. We had a number of teams that had six, seven, eight home games left. Again, our model is predicated on fans. We don't have national TV deals, and so that's a significant hit. Hit plus the loss of the playoffs as well, and. So is there concern? Yes, sure. But I think we took the prudent action, and we're going to be working together as a league with the Players Association, you know, all of our stakeholders to, to find a way to get through this uh, for for the best interest of hockey for the long term. Um, there's still uncertainty in the air, and I think we have to take each passing day and work with the facts that we have. So, you know, I think everyone's concerned, but again, we're going to assess that over the coming days, weeks, potentially even months. What's the possibility of some of the higher revenue teams um, sharing a bit more revenue with teams that may need, let's call it a bailout this season as a one-time thing? Uh, I don't know if it would be structured in that way, Um, you know, certainly looking to the past, maybe something of that nature in the future. Again, that's going to be a discussion for our board to, to get together and, and find ways 
to to try and raise all tides across the league. Um, you know, this is where we we must band together and try and find a way to help each other out. Uh, what that looks like, though, um, yeah, I, 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 it's too early to tell. So I understand that players receive their last paycheck this week, and they will not be paid for the remainder of the season. Firstly, is that true? Uh, correct. So w- under the terms of our collective bargaining agreement, uh, we essentially invoke the end of season and declare that as of uh, this week. So is there anything you're doing to help compensate the players, add some kind of relief if they're ha- going through some kind of financial hardship? And, and, and can you just explain maybe to our listeners of why it is the case that, you know, the NHL can, you know, pay their players for the rest of the season and you can't? Sure. Well, I mean, you've got a different collective bargaining agreement, a different model. Uh, most, uh, actually, all of our teams are independently owned and, and really small businesses in our, our community and uh, working with the Professional Hockey uh, Players Association, they understood that, and you know we're working together as partners in hockey for the the long term, and we know there's going to be uh, certain players that are hit harder than others, and we've talked with the PA about different ideas that we can uh, work through again over the coming days, weeks. To there's a hardship fund. Uh, there's career enhancement programs that the league uh, contributes to already existing in place. And then we'll be in discussions as to additional steps and measures that we can uh, put in place to help each other through this time. Everyone's taking a hit here. You know, there's no, I, I don't think there were enemies on, on opposite sides of the table. The, the enemy right now is the coronavirus and how quickly we can eradicate that and prop all of ourselves up together is going to be uh, a focus that we work with the PHPA uh, on in the short term and then, again, for the benefit of the long term. Right. And then they do have uh, health insurance through, I think it's June 30th, is it? Correct. Correct. Right. And then they can go Cobra after that. So you, you sound like you sound pretty uh, um, convinced that this isn't going to be uh, a load of animosity that between your, your, the league and the players heading into next season. Uh, I don't believe so. No, well, that's good. Um, was there any? Uh, I know this has been a hot topic in the NHL. Has, is there any um, assistance or compensation or anything for any of the uh, part-time uh, staffers for games uh, in, in ECHL cities? So um, from a league standpoint, we don't manage the arenas and that okay. uh, arrangement. So that will be left to each of the arenas and and their staff. I mean, they, they are the employer and how they determine it. But it's it's hard for me to make a blanket statement because we don't control that. It's finally for me, and, and thanks for your time. If uh, you were... In Gary Bettman's shoes, you're commissioner of the National Hockey League. Um, what would you do, <laughs> uh, given the circumstances <laughs> that we're in right now? <laughs> it's impossible to say because, again, there's just so much uncertainty. I think what they've done is all that they can do at this point um, in terms of, I believe it came out yesterday, allow the players to, to come home. Again, that's what we were doing, getting the players home 
because we didn't know what was going to happen travel-wise. Um, so you do that. You lay out a plan over the next 30 days, 60 days. But I think that plan is going to change every day uh, depending on what happens here. So uh, that's what you do. You lay out your best projection. You lay out a timeline, and then you just pay attention. And before we let you go, I just wanted to give you one opportunity to give a sentence or two to your fans and, and just, you know, let them know where you stand and, and what you hope for the future. Well, I, I would first off thank them for all of their support for, for the from the 2019-20 season. And I know we were getting to the part of the season that's the most exciting. I, even people who aren't necessarily hockey fans uh, become hockey fans when it comes time for the stretch run and and the playoffs. So I thank them for all their support through the early part of the season and know that this decision wasn't an easy one. In fact, it was an excruciating one. Uh, but again, I believe it was the right decision uh, with an eye on the 2020-21 season. Indeed. Uh, Ryan, uh, great job in, a, in, a, in an inconceivable spot in your second year <laughs> at the helm of this league. Uh, I'm sure year one probably was a little smoother sailing, huh? <laughs> oh, they all have their fun. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Ryan, well, thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, Stay take safe. Care. Our thanks to Ryan Creelin for his time uh, talking about the ECHL. Uh, no playoffs there, Emily, but the potential remains, potentially, slim as it is, hopes and dreams, that the Stanley Cup playoffs could happen when the NHL and if the NHL gets back to playing. Uh, you and I participated in a roundtable discussion on ESPN.com that people can check out this week, talking about what potential playoff formats could be and talking about what acceptable and equitable playoff formats could be for the National Hockey League. What are your, what are your thoughts? If the NHL does come back and is able to put on some semblance of the Stanley Cup playoffs, what should they look like? What would make you believe that they are a legitimate playoff? Well, in my opinion, because of the time crunch that I outlined earlier, the regular season should be done. It is over. There was 189 games left, three and a half weeks of the season. To try to squeeze that in, plus a normal playoffs, the best of seven series, just is unfeasible. Um, the one thing I've heard thrown around a lot is a 24-team playoff field, so you get those bubble teams in, um, and you kind of quash any, well, we would have made a run at the end. Um, I think all series should go to best of five until the Stanley Cup final, which would be best of seven. I think you need to shorten it in that mind. So those are some things that, in my opinion, are staples of what would need to happen going forward. What, what is, what do you say? Yeah, I, I, um, <clears throat> I agree with you on the shortened series. I think, you know, that's going to have to be something that happens. And I would even, if, if we're out until June 1st, which is a possibility and, and in the minds of at least one NHL team medical staff that I've heard from, um, that's kind of their target in some ways is saying that we might not be playing until the beginning of June at the earliest. If that's the case, you could really cut this thing down. Uh, you could do a series a week if you wanted to make the first couple of rounds best of three. And I know that is in the minds of some people criminal. I know in the eyes of minds of some people that is preposterous. But uh, desperate times cost for de- desperate measures. And the real issue for me in the playoffs is, you know, if we get back to playing, the, the NHL is going to have to reschedule some of these games 
around what the NBA does. And I haven't taken a look to see exactly how many crossover deals we got in the playoffs. I mean, obviously, back of the napkin, you're looking at Philly as being one. You're looking at Boston as being one um, and a few others, uh, Toronto being one. Um, where there's going to be two teams jockeying for, for time. And then you have all these other events that have been canceled at, at arenas rescheduling around the same time as well. So it's going to be tough to kind of figure out arena availability on the fly. Um, so I think the, the shorter term you can go with these series, the better it's going to be for actually pulling this thing off. And again, pulling this thing off before like the end of July, because you still got to think about next season too in an off season. Free agency, that kind of thing. We can't be pushing this thing until, you know, until July 20th. It just it doesn't make sense for for actually trying to pull off next season's uh, uh, hockey um, or, or trying to lessen the impact on next season. So I would go as short a series as you can for the first two rounds at the very least, and then maybe the championship rounds, you, you push it further, five games, seven games, that sort of thing. As far as putting teams in, the 24-game thing has been an interesting bit of uh, telephone around this league. I, I floated the idea of the 24 – actually, this, I didn't float it. I commented on the 24-team playoff idea on Twitter and then had somebody from the NHL come at me on email and being like, what are you doing? We're, it's not going to be a 24-team thing. This is just like something that's being kind of speculated on. We don't even know when we're coming back yet. And I think all that's things are going to be – That's what the movers and shakers are saying behind the scenes. Like That's what everyone – our good friend Chris Johnson from Sportsnet said, Do you NHL front offices are talking about it. So I agree. I mm-hmm. think it's something being bandied about. But I mean, any model that we start discussing at this point is just, you know, the fantasy land because we don't know how many games we're going to have. We don't know when we're coming back. That whole thing. Here's the thing. I don't want 24 teams. As much as I'm playing playoff guy, which would be uh, like a 20 team uh, playoff. Um, I just think that we go by points percentage. We, we've played. 70 some odd games and mo- between 71 and 70 and 68 games for most teams. And yeah, it sucks that, you know, if you've got 68 games to your credit or 69 in the case of the Florida Panthers, nice. Um, you know, like, yeah, if they could have played that 70th game, maybe they, they get closer. Who knows? But here's the thing. It, it's not going to happen. I mean, like we can't be fiddling around with a regular season when we're worried about getting a postseason done. So, just rank them by points percentage. Apologies to the Columbus Blue Jackets. Apologies to the Winnipeg Jets. You don't get in. Um, I know. It's sad. They've got the points, but not the points percentage. And then you just, you get your 16 teams that way and you go from there. Uh, the what one I'd thing love... I hate, the one thing I absolutely am completely Is against. Is the play-in? Cause that's what I'm about to say I love. No, 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 no. Play-in's fine. I mean, I, I, listen, I'm Give a play-in guy. Like if Give we do it this in. year, maybe this is the proof of concept that we just keep doing it. That'd be great. Yes, Don't put every yes. team in the playoffs. That's I've seen some people be like, put in all 31 teams in the playoffs. There is, uh, you want to talk about the illegitimacy of the postseason? It's the Detroit Red, Red Wings being a playoff team. That's the illegitimacy of the postseason. I don't care. It, it, having them even have a, a 0-0-0-0-0-0-0-0-1% chance of being a, a team that wins a playoff game, a playoff round, the Stanley Cup, that would be illegitimate to me. But playing games are fine, and you like the playing games. I love the playing games. I think entertainment, drama, um, all the above, competitive fairness, like that's the way hockey goes. You might play them ten times, and they might win nine, but that one game, that one time, not tonight. Now you would go, you'd go, 
eight, eight, not eight plays ten. Eight, sorry, seven plays ten, eight plays nine, kind of playing playing game. Or do you like? Yeah, going to I think that would be fair in this, especially. Like, I guess you can't quite say, especially this year where there's so much parity. But especially this year where there's so much parity, that seems fair. Mm-hmm. So it would be kind of like a wild card round. So you'd have like Carolina play the Rangers, Columbus oh, yeah. play the Islanders. I mean, oh my just, god. I mean, I think maybe like I mean, I, I, we have to re- probably it. seed them by points percentage, but those would be, the, I think, your four teams, unless Florida hops ahead of somebody. Um, I mean, listen again. I had no problem with playing games because people would see the playing games or the playing series and say, look how fun this is. Let's keep doing it. And I'd be such a happy boy if that happened. Um, but, uh, but I also would be very, very fine with them just saying, look, points percentage is the way to go. Apologies to everybody who couldn't get their games in. You know, this is, it, it, it happens. You know, the whole season's going to have an asterisk anyway. So we'll just do what we can. Poor, um, do you know what I think over that asterisk before we wrap this up and take it to the SPHL, uh, President Doug Price is think of a guy like Leon Dreisaitl, who is going to win the Art Ross, like could be MVP and was having an insane season. And it's just going to suck when you look at that list on hockey reference of all of the award winners of the year and you just see him and just asterisk. It's like mm-hmm. he deserved this, but asterisk. Yeah, I mean, it it, uh, it will suck. All of the awards winners are going to have a certain amount of asterisks going on. Not, it won't suck as bad as um, not getting to go to Las Vegas for the awards because I imagine they'll just be given out via press release this summer if they are awarded. Um, yeah, but we but can't yeah, afford. To I mean, put we, that all one right to, now. we all have to. We all have to suffer hardships in this. Yeah, dude, <laughs> in this economy, jokes have been crushing for me this week. <laughs> Oh, and also, by the way, it doesn't even matter because the casinos might not even be open by that point to have NHL awards in them. So enjoy, 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 uh, enjoy, you know, every, every day at noon Eastern finding out who won a different NHL award because that's exactly how we're going to find out about them this offseason. Joining us down the line is Doug Price of the Southern Professional Hockey League. Um, Doug, you're in your, you're in your first full year <laughs> as, as commissioner. Uh, how's it going? (laughs) (laughs) For for those who don't know, the SPHL is a 10 team league, uh, teams in Alabama, Indiana, North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, Illinois, and Virginia. Um, Doug, your, your comment, um, in, in canceling the rest of the season said that the, uh, quote, state mandates already preventing multiple teams from playing until at least May 1st was a factor. Was, was that in fact the driving force behind the announcement? The fact that, uh, you were just uncertain about when these mass gathering bans were going to be lifted? Well, that was part of it for sure. But uh, as I think I put in our, our release, the, the bigger issue was uh, the people. You know, it, it, this isn't an NBA issue. This isn't an NHL issue. Uh, this is about people. And we as a league uh, really could not run the risk of jeopardizing any of our players, our game officials, our staffs, our fans, our arena workers in an attempt to, you know, continue the season uh, going forward. So I'd love just to take us back, you know, and just how exactly this decision was made. I think a lot of fans would find it really instructive of how a league like this makes a decision. I understand you have a board of governors, but when did the issue of coronavirus first come across your desk as, okay, this is something that could affect us in our league? And then at what point did it escalate? And, and can you kind of take us through that whole entire process? 
Sure. Thanks, Emily. Um, you know, it was really early last week when we started to kind of hear the, you know, the rumors about uh, teams playing without fans. And um, a few of my governors, our executive committee, we have a, a select number of uh, governors started kind of, you know, emailing and texting back and forth saying, hey, you know, this might be something we want to get on a call and talk about. So um, we actually had a, you know, we decided on two, last Tuesday, a week ago, to have an executive committee call uh, Wednesday afternoon at 3. And at that point, it was kind of, okay, this is probably something we're going to have to monitor. Get on the 3 o'clock call. We decide that um, we're going to have a full board of governors call the following day. Got off the call at 3 o'clock. It kind of, you know, it was still kind of relatively normal. But I was out uh, Wednesday night, and they had the NBA games on, and you started to see the news of the of the mm. immediate and really quick postponement of the first game, and that Rudy Gobert was ill. And and you know, two hours later, it went from a game canceled to the season on hold. And right then, I knew that the call that we had anticipated having at three o'clock that afternoon um, that we had talked about the context of the call the following day just immediately flipped 180 degrees. Um, and it was something that was bigger than we had, you know, even anticipated just hours before that. So, Wow. Um, what's the economic impact for these teams? I mean, the, the SPHL is a league that, uh, you know, averages a, a couple grand, I guess, attendance uh, per, per team. Um, there's a, it's, it seems pretty gate revenue driven, if that's a fair thing to say. Um, not playing the rest of the regular season, um, missing the entirety of the postseason. What's the economic impact going to be for some of these teams? I mean, are, are are we at risk of not having all of these ten teams come back next year? Well, obviously, we are hopeful that everybody's returned, um, and we're still in the very early stages of uh, kind of evaluating our our fiscal status. Uh, but as a league, um, you know, we don't have the TV revenues that an NHL would have. Uh, we don't have the national corporate support. We are gate-driven and, for lack of a term, merchandise-driven. You know, it's mm-hmm. what our teams are able to sell within the confines of the games. Um, we have a team in Roanoke that had seven games left, which was 25% of their regular season Wow! Um, that were coming up in these next or what would have been the last three weeks of the season. Um, we've had teams as low as having two games, um, not counting the playoffs. So, you know, the range is going to be pretty vast, um, and we have teams that are going to be able to make through this uh, better than potentially others. But I think the key for us as a league is to be um, really focused on supporting each other and creative with things that we can do in terms of moving forward with as many members um, that we possibly can. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Do, do you see any potential for there to be some sort of one-time revenue-sharing type setup with the more successful teams propping up the ones that might need a little bit of a, of, of a, a helping hand for a season? Um, yeah, again, I don't know if we are really in, you know, we don't necessarily have the finance to do a revenue share per se, but mm-hmm. we going forward, and, and I told my board we're going to be having a lot of calls over these next few days and weeks and months to, to really try to find things to help each other. Um, one example is, uh, you know, in terms of getting players home. 
Uh, we've kind of lifted some of the restrictions we've had on compensation with our booster clubs, who are a huge part of our team's um, hmm. support. They do a lot of stuff for the players, um, enlisting them to work with our front offices to help get players home, whether it's providing meal cards or gas cards for guys who drove just to kind of help supplant what our front offices are already having to do. What feedback have you gotten from players or, you know, has trickled up to you? What are their biggest concerns right now? I think the biggest concern that I've heard in terms of talking with some of my teams and my coaches, uh, they just want to get home. They are just as uncertain as we are and concerned about, you know, shutdowns or perhaps the Canadian players not being able to get home and, and back across the border or Europeans, you know, being able to find a flight home. Um, so I think it's the same perception that we as Americans are and, and Canadians are having uh, in terms of uh, just the overall day-to-day uncertainty of, of how life is going to uh, look the, the next day or even later that afternoon. What kind of uh, economic impact is it for these players? I know in talking to some of the guys on that Hockey in Alabama story that I did, I know that the you know a lot of them have jobs in the summer. You know they, they're they're bridging their employment, that kind of thing. Um, first off, I'm assuming that they I don't want to assume anything. Were they, were they paid for games they're missing? And uh, if not, what what kind of economic impact do you think there is on these players? Well, uh, at this level, we don't have guaranteed contracts, so really everybody is kind of day-to-day. Uh, but what we've done, as I mentioned before, we've lifted some of the restrictions on economics and the compensation, and we've allowed teams to pay um, you know, up to a certain amount of time past the stoppage of the league to help players um, get home, you know, have that you know, extra little paycheck before they, they go home. But uh, you know, without having games coming in, without having the revenue streams that we have, makes it difficult to, you know, we're trying to find a balance between, you know, fiscal responsibility and doing what's right for, for our players to get them home, to get them kind of, uh, you know, on the right path as well. What's going to be most important to you next year to make sure that your league can survive and thrive? Not survive, thrive. Thrive. Um, just stability. Um, I think, you know, the ripple effect that this is going to have both in leagues above us uh, like the ECHL in leagues below us, like the Federal League, um, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty. You know, they're dealing with the same economic issues uh, that we're facing in terms of lost revenue. Um, but, you know, the ECHL has larger budgets than we do. You know, so they uh, potentially have a risk of, of losing um, a lot more than our teams do. So it's going to be, you know, the dynamics are going to be really interesting over the next few weeks and months in terms of, you know, do teams, uh, you know, do they look to go to a different league um, or things of that nature? I don't anticipate any of our teams uh, doing that, but I think the economic realities are going to force a lot of uh, decisions that maybe had not been considered before. So we'll just have to wait and see. Last one from me, uh, Doug, and thanks for your time um, for, on this. If you uh, if you were a commissioner of the NHL right now, what what would you be doing? What what, what 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 possible thing that could could you uh, conceive of doing uh, if you were in Gary Bettman's shoes with regards to the season, the postseason, going forward? Ooh, um, I think that what uh, Mr. Bettman is doing, um, you know, again, they have a lot more flexibility in terms of the potential for starting back up than we do um, in terms of 
uh, arena availability. You know, we we had teams that even for our playoffs, had they been played, didn't have ice the first two weeks. Uh, you know, the NHL probably doesn't have that problem to that extent, so they are able to potentially set a, a startup date or a restart date and continue on with a limited finish to the regular season, jump into playoffs, or perhaps jump into playoffs. So um, I, I wish we had that, you know, that same kind of circumstance. But, uh, you know, I think for everybody involved in whether it's restaurants, bars, sports, what have you, um, there's no playbook for this. So really it's kind of day-to-day, you know, making the best decisions for everybody involved at whatever level you're at and, and uh, you know, keeping the public health interests at, at the forefront. Awesome, Doug. Well, we appreciate your time. Um, just if you had one or two sentences you wanted to say to the fans of the SPHL before you signed off, we'll give you this uh, moment. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, no, to our you know to our fans, you know, we are as disappointed as you are in the fact that we couldn't finish the season. Um, we had teams. We had two point or two teams tied for first place. We had four that were separated by two points, and then our final four battling for two playoff spots, they were separated by one point. So this was going to be a fantastic end of the season. But stick with us. Um, we do not plan on going there. We're doing everything we can in terms of working with my board of governors to make sure that we get back to normalcy, and we're looking forward to the start of the 2021 season. So this could be a, a little bit of a different period of time for the you know, time being, and uh, we thank you for your support. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Doug. Really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. Our thanks to Doug Price um, of the SPHL for talking about the cancellation of his league season. Things are getting canceled left and right, Emily, except for weekly bits on this podcast. And it's time for our favorite one of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. No, he does not love to eat hot dogs. Our weekly look at sad hyperbole and strange narratives of the hockey media. Good one, Randy. Good one. It's Phil Kessel of Hot Dogs. It's the weekly look at the uh, foibles and hyperbole and mistakes in the hockey media. And uh, you know, I'm not trying to be, you know, ill-natured here in a very tense time. But you know, something did catch it's our bad. eye from the <laughs> catalyst and source. Of Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Steve Simmons of the Toronto Sun, who writes in his dot 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 column. He's got one of them dot 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 columns, you know, like Larry King used to have or Mike Lupica used to have. Oh yeah, use in New York. He's got the dot dot dots. He says a thing and then it's Very like ominous. dot dot dot. Yeah, he was like, you know, he's like, you know, Tom Tom Brady, goat of the NFL. Dot dot dot. You know what's great on a sandwich? Pastrami. Dot dot dot. Like one of those deals. <laughs> Anyway, here's the, this was a dot, dot, dot. The sports media seems consumed with whether arena workers will be paid and who will pay them during the stoppage. That's nice. It's small, big, it's small, big picture. What the hell that means? I'm more concerned about businesses that employ people that are temporarily or permanently shutting down and all those Canadians concerned about their employment and their professions. This is an uncertain time for a lot more than arena workers. Yeah, no kidding. Guess what? Um, you can only influence what you can influence. So the sports media and sports fans can influence the owners of the teams that they cover and follow, which is why the laser focus was on trying to help the part-time workers affected by these arenas shutting down and not having games. Um, if we had the influence 
and uh and the, and the and you know we're able to affect change for bars and restaurants as well that'd be great but we had sway over some owners that were being real tightwads about this stuff and lo and behold their wallets opened up in the end so i give kudos to every single person that put pressure on teams to compensate their part-time workers feel no shame that you were unable to affect societal change uh in the mind of steve simmons you know keep doing good deeds Sorry that they can't be the goodest deeds in the eyes of Steve Simmons. All right, here's puck headlines. State line women's hockey. So we mentioned before, an absolute bummer of a season. No IIHF Worlds for the uh, U.S. and Canada to play twice, as they always do. Uh, and a postponed Isabel Cup in the um, NWHL between the Boston Pride and the Minnesota, White- Minnesota Whitecaps, who were seeking their second straight cup. Um, you know, we, we may get some level of finality in the NHL season, but for women's hockey, this was the coronavirus basically ruined everything, uh, for women's hockey this year. It's been an absolute bummer. And I think of teams, you know, you mentioned the White Caps are seeking their second straight cup, but the NWHL season has been all about the Boston Pride who, you know, stormed to an undefeated record. They finally lost, but they were incredible this season. And, and to see them not be able to see it through is disappointing. Um, next week on the podcast, we're going to have Doug Dura, who is the coach of the Cornell women's hockey team. They had never won an NCAA women's title and they were the number one ranked team in the country. And that's a bummer for them. So. I feel for all the momentum that we built in women's hockey. And hey, remember that all women's broadcast that happened on and um, NBC Sports and uh, Sportsnet? That was a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's impossible. That was three years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dateline uh, NHL quarantine. I think we can expect to see a lot of quirky stuff emerging from players uh, that are stuck at home. Uh, you know, I've already seen Braden Holtby's wife tweeting out the books that he's reading. A real renaissance man reading a lot of Vonnegut, reading Hitchhiker's Guide. Uh, Artemi Panarin of the Rangers is building birdhouses during his downtime. I assume this is a hobby he may have had before the downtime. Can't imagine that he's got some sort of Neo from the Matrix mind where he downloaded how to build a birdhouse within the last two days. What new hobby is or would be your go-to during this downtime stuck at home, Emily? Well, I've already made a reading pact with myself. I'd like to read more books, but um, I'd like to pick back up knitting. I was a knitter in high school, oh. and I think this would be the prime opportunity, given that I can get the knitting supplies. I'm wondering if this is a good time to learn another language. Mm. Um, I'm concerned that maybe I'd, I'd start and then never finish. Um but from a purely distraction standpoint, um, we, we purchased at a, a video game um, flea market that was happening on our local uh, barcade-type operation, uh, a copy of the N64 GoldenEye game. Um, <laughs> so I might play through that because it's been a while. Um, Dateline, Marty Brodeur. March 17th was the anniversary of Brodeur setting the NHL's all-time goalie wins record with 552. But, Emily, are goalie wins the most overrated stat for netminders? Not the most overrated stat. They're, they're rated highly, highly than they, more highly than they should be, but I don't say it's the most overrated. Yeah, I mean, they're rated pretty highly. I think highly, GAA is more o- overrated because... It's a team. 
team stat. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, the, the wins is is important to the Vezina voters. It seems like every year. And I'll say this: um, Ben Bishop once said to me because we had a discussion about uh, advanced stats one day. He's a great dude to talk to about goalie stuff. Um, and he said, "There's like the most important stat to him is wins." It's like, it's, that's it. That's the whole reason you're playing. It's not to have a fancy save percentage, your goal saved above average. You know, the, you are measured by how many games you win or lose. Um, in which case my heart goes out to Jimmy Howard this season. Dateline hockey night in Canada. The Canadian Saturday night staple, millions of fans, hundreds of families crowding around their televisions every Saturday night to watch hockey. Obviously can't happen when there's no hockey. So Hockey Night in Canada is rebranding as Movie Night in Canada, a celebration of acclaimed Canadian films. Now, Emily, is it at all even worth doing this if it's not going to include, like, Brian Burke commenting on the quality of films during film intermissions? Can I say something awful? Like, what is a Canadian film? Do I know any? <laughs> like, Slapshot's not even a Canadian film. I mean... Is it is it predominantly Canadian cast? I mean, like Ryan Matlack, our producer, mentions that they did this during the lockout. Goon uh, would be a Canadian film. Jay Baruchel. Goon's a, a great movie. Goon's underrated. Yeah, Goon's the good. Rocket. I mean, the thing I don't know is that I don't know if it's, if if this is just Canadian hockey films or if it extends to other Canadian films as well. Um, I don't know. It's a it's a great question. I mean, like technically, um. I think J- is Jason Reitman. I mean, Ivan Reitman's Canadian, so is technically Ghostbusters a Canadian film because it was from a Canadian well, anything director. Anything with John Candy, then? Like, yeah, it's any played John Candy film. again and again. Yeah. So, like, the potential is there. It takes place in Canada, right? Big oh, actually, actually, Ivan Reitman, he's a Canadian citizen born in Slovakia. So, I guess maybe Ghostbusters is actually technically a Slovakian film now that we think about. Who's to say? But good luck to Canada. Just please, I just want to see Hockey Night in Canada, but with a movie instead. You know, go to go to Elliot and CJ during intermission of the movie, so they could talk about movie rumors. You know, just do the whole, just do just do Hockey Night in Canada, but movies is what I'm trying to say, and that'll be perfect for Canadians and for Americans who uh, illegally stream uh, content from Canada. Anyways, thanks to everybody for listening to the podcast. We hope it's been. Uh, sort of a cathartic one in some ways, but a lot of it educational to see how the coronavirus shutdown is affecting some different leagues. I'm Greg Wyshynski. Um, read my stuff at ESPN.com. Listen to my other podcast where I say naughty words, Puck Soup, uh, which is continuing and, and is at a distinct advantage, I think, in this whole thing in the sense that we hardly talk about what's happening in hockey these days anyway. It's all nostalgic nonsense. And movies and comic books and stuff anyway. So uh, you can find Puck Soup on iTunes. Maybe they know more about Canadian movies than I do. Uh, I'm Emily Kaplan. You can follow me on Emily M- on Twitter at Emily M. Kaplan. I just want to thank you guys um, for making it through all this way. If you're still listening to us now, it's been a wild week for everybody. Self-isolation is going to hit in a big way. And um, just honestly restoring a little bit of normalcy and doing this podcast with Greg today was helpful for me. So maybe listening to this was helpful for you. Uh, wash your hands, get some sleep, take care of yourself, try to work out when you can and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. This is 
Bet ESPN on Ice with Wyshynski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.